Hello, spreaders, and welcome to The Spread. I'm your host, Kaz. We are now on episode 73 of season four. Oh my gosh, guys, this is like such a milestone. It just feels like 100 is creeping up really slowly behind us. Now, this particular episode is the fourth one of the Spread Fest series, and it is Religion in the Bedroom. Today's topic is one that'll hit home with some very hard truths, and I'm so grateful to everyone who chose to take part in this panel discussion. Now, despite religion in its current state having been hijacked, there is an emerging movement towards inclusivity. So we unpack the taboo of sex and sexual pleasure in the backdrop of conservatism and religion. Let's meet the panelists. Tiffany Kaguramugo is the intoxicatingly scary gatekeeper of Hola Africa, a pan-African queer womanist digital community dealing with sex and sexuality. She's a TED speaker, podcast host, and a badass board member of the Frida Fund, as well as the author of the newly released book, Quirky Quick Guide to Having Great Sex. Hello. <laughs> it's always so weird when people read your bio. You're like, oh, it feels like such an awkward flex, but yes. Yeah. David Ochara is a co-founder and lead pastor at the Cosmopolitan Affirming Community, CAC, an LGBTIQ affirming religious fellowship in Kenya. Pastor David has a background in science with present interest in research and the intersections of gender, sexuality, and religion in contemporary African society. Thank you so much. Hi, everybody. So, so <laughs> glad to be part of this panel of great women. And as the only one, I'm so overjoyed to see people like Mudoni, whom we've met in another world. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Cora Award winner Silayo is a performing and recording Kenyan artist who's been working in and out of the country for the last 14 years. Silayo recently reintroduced herself to the scene with a stint on The Voice of Holland, where she finished seventh out of 110 contestants. This is my home girl, and sometimes I like to call her home Silice. Hi, I feel differently from Tiffany. I'm just like, blow my horn, toot my horn. <laughs> Thank you. It's nice to be here, guys. Madani's mantra is, my mission is to support my clients break free from limits, beliefs, patterns, and behaviors so that they can live a life filled with joy, fun, pleasure, and contentment. Thank you, Sava. And lastly... Our moderator for this panel is the ever-so-lovely Sunshine, a Nairobi-based radical writer dedicated to imagining freedom and universal access to systems of care for all. Her insightful dissections of pop culture and the intersection with cultural traditions that inform our daily lives serve as a reminder that unlearning, much like the struggle of freedom, is an ongoing journey. Now let's get on with this podcast. So I'd, I'd really like to begin the conversation with just a general question or, or a basic um, laying of a fundamental ground. And I'd like to direct my first question to Tiff and maybe Pastor Dave. I know Tiff, you've talked about how before Christianity, African societies had both social and spiritual spaces that helped institutionalize healthy sexual practices, institutions that maybe have long been lost. And I know Pastor Dave, being an ordained pastor, you've had quite some time to get familiar with Christianity, the religion, and what it teaches about sex and sexuality. Maybe you can talk about how different or how does the conversation around sex and sexuality look like today, maybe in comparison to what it used to be and in line with the main teachings of Christianity. One of the conversations I've been having a lot on panels is about how, you know, Africans were so prudish and like we're so, you know, we're not ready for sex and we don't engage nicely with sex and things like that. And I, I used to genuinely believe that, right? I used to genuinely believe that, but I think, I don't know whether it's living in South Africa or having the circle that I do or whatever, 
like I'm finding more and more the ways in which people are really pushing back about that idea of like, you know, being prudish and not being able to engage nicely with sex. And it's like a really African thing. And it's, 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 I feel like there's a way in which the spaces of old have become new spaces, right? And sure, we're like, we don't have like, you know, the older women teaching us and all those things. And a lot of the practices have become really, really patriarchal and been like, yeah, so this is how you please your man. This is how you keep the husband. This is, you know, sex is for a Christian home and things like that. But I feel like there's ways in which these spaces are re-emerging in other places, especially the internet. Guys, the internet is lit. It's so lit, guys, as you can see from like Kaz and everyone, the internet is so lit. And I think those spaces are re-emerging. And also a thing I've been seeing, and I think also probably because of my work and things is a lot of interaction with like religious folks, right? And, um, you know, with people like who like hold prominence within like the religious spaces and especially with my work with which Sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, I just recognized somebody. Um, especially my work within which like I deal especially with sexuality and like LGBTQIA plus forever issues and things like that. People being more willing to have that conversation. And I think the spaces have disappeared in some ways, but they've reappeared in other ways. And the conversation is going forward in like a modern way, but there's so much pushback, especially from religious elements. I'm like, why are you mad at it? Like, where do you think these kids are going to come from? These when you're saying populate the earth. Do you think people just wake up knowing how to have sex? But yeah, I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And I love that we have somebody from the religious community on this panel. Hats, David. Hats. Okay. Pastor David. Thank you so much, Chief, and, and the fellow panelists, uh, Sunshine. Uh, when I saw this, uh, the, the, uh, when I got the email from Kaz and and I saw the, the topic, uh, religion and the bedroom. I, I, I was sort of taken aback and I thought that was really pretty radical. And, uh, and so I, I also felt it was really fascinating. And uh, so I'm really excited to be part of this conversation uh, to, say, to say just that. And uh, one of the things that is very uh, problematic, I would say, within my community, and we try to talk about this every time within our congregation, is that we look at sex from a very moralized point of view. But I want to put this out there that sex uh, is divine. Sex should be enjoyed when two or three or how many, or, you know, whatever number consenting adults are involved in it in private. It is a good thing. And so just want to get that out there. But when you come to the issue of uh, religion and the bedroom, I think religion and religiosity has played quite an important role in uh, sexual behaviors of both uh, young and old people. And religious communities, although, you know, uh, we have been having conversations on sex and sexuality, but it's been uh, really controlled and monitored that is, is not liberating at all. It's not been very honest. And so uh, currently what is happening within religious communities and what you're doing a lot uh, at CSC is, is to break these boundaries, to be transgressive, to uh, untangle the patriarchy that is so embedded in religion because, you know, when you're from LGBT communities, then you, you, uh, you definitely have to um, sort of uh, 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 had some sort of pushback towards uh, patriarchal structures and systems. And so it, it's, it's time that I feel religious community and particularly the church in my context to be more radical on how we evolve on matters religion and the bedroom so that is not controlling and 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 not, and, 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 and and liberating maybe I'll, I'll i'll take it out from there then uh and uh, continue the conversation okay okay i, I those, those are really great um responses to that question i i know all of us have some form of first-hand experiences with these sexual conversations, especially from religious structures or religious institutions. So maybe we can um, give examples of some kind of narratives, maybe some kind of stories that we were all told. And I'd like to begin with Mudoni, who I know is Muslim. What did uh, maybe the conversations around sexuality look like for you in particular? Um, I'm so excited to be here. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for the question. I'm curious, do you mean in, in regards to um, being Muslim? Because I wasn't born Muslim. 
Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so my own story is a whole completely different um, narrative. So are you wanting to know prior or now that I'm Muslim? Actually, both would be great just to get a, a great sense, maybe like a, what this looked like and what it looks like now. Okay. Okay. Definitely. Um, so I wasn't born Muslim. So I have been Muslim six years. This is my sixth year. And so I reverted in my late thirties. And prior to that, I, I dabbled on, on a lot of like spiritual um, explorations, uh, beginning with Christianity because I was born in a predominantly traditional Christian household where we all went to church on Sunday. Um, and I, I always, I remember even as a child being very conflicted um, because because I was very aware of my body at a very young age, um, a very young age. Um, but we were always told that our body is shameful, that women are cursed. We are the ones who made Adam eat the apple. <laughs> so it was, it was very difficult for me to reconcile what felt very natural for me. So I think for me, my, my search really began with the, 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 discrepancy between what felt natural to me and the narrative, the religious narrative that I was having around me. What really changed was in my 20s when I lived in the States, I started exploring Gnostic Gospels and discovered Mary Magdalene and <laughs> and that all that took me off a different, completely different tangent. Um, and um, I always say this, that I felt most feminine when I became Muslim. It was like this, um, this particular piece of an embodiment, an understanding of femininity, of sensuality, of sexuality, all fit for me when I became Muslim. Um, but I also know that I am Muslim within a particular context um, that is colored within patriarchal cultural lens. Um, um, but I, I feel most great sense of, of, of agency as a, a Muslim woman who wears a veil, um, who covers, um, even though I know that's not the constant narrative that's shared outside. I don't know if I'm making sense. Um, you are, you are. That's a really great perspective. Maybe since we haven't had Silayu speaking, maybe Silayu, you can tell us your experience. I know you grew up largely evangelical um, in a Christian church. Maybe you can tell us what your first interaction with sex and sexuality in a, in a Christian framework looked like. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, I did grow up evangelical, but super evangelical. You know, my dad was a reverend, my dad was a missionary, my granddad was a reverend, and we are one of those who are called born saved, you know, born saved, I was born saved. <laughs> so ideas on sexuality were not entertained ever in my life until, geez, until I was in trouble for it. Actually, that's, that's how it goes. Because I remember the only time I ever had a conversation with my parents about sex uh, was maybe I was 12. And my mom brought home this silent killer, this little video of Raphael Tuju talking about gonorrhea and syphilis. <laughs> and me and my 10-year-old brother, it was like, you have sex? This is it. This is where it goes. This is how, it, you know, which I feel was as far as she could go in her context, having grown up as well, a uh, super, super, super Christian because her dad was a, a reverend. Uh, but conversations on sex and sexuality and my body and pleasure just never happened. The only thing I did hear was how it was the origin. I don't know how it became the original sin of Adam and Eve. I don't know how that got somewhere in the story. It was, sometimes it was an apple and sometimes it was sex. I, maybe Pastor Dave can clarify, can clarify how exactly that was, you know. But I never talked to anybody about sex. Nobody ever talked to me about sex. And Besides, sex was a very flesh thing, and flesh was very temporary, and real life was beyond this life, so it wasn't even that important, necessarily. Uh, you could do without it. In fact, if you could do without sex, 
you are better than everybody else. So then you are like Paul, the apostle, who's like, I'm giving up everything, I'm giving up everybody, and I'm just going to serve God uh, and shut down my body because the body is bad. So the main message that I grew up with about my body was that it's a bad thing. It's a thing full of sin. It's a thing that's going to drop me uh, down the wrong way. And the interesting thing about my experience with, uh, with religion is I also grew up uh, very traditional Maasai. And the female body in traditional Maasai, is, it's not a thing, it's a vessel for a child. Uh, we cut off all the pleasure bits uh, super early, 12, 8, uh, between the age of 9 and 13, between that point usually, they've fixed the female pleasure problem. Luckily, my dad was a Christian, which is interesting, so it didn't happen to us, the girls, to the girls of my family. But just sex for a woman, pleasure for a woman, conversations on my body and its potential, and it was, it just, it never happened. I started talking about sex in my early 20s when I met Kaz, and she, she, was, she was so much more open, and it was shocking meeting people like those, you know, just, <gasps> Even to say the word sex out loud was, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a young girl as far as conversations on sex and sexuality are. It's, it's only in the last few years of my life that I have shaken off the, the All right. part of my, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, so uh, now that you've brought up a conversation about pleasure, maybe we can have a, an open-ended question to all of you. Maybe do you feel that pleasure was prioritized in your conversations around religion, pleasure, or what values were essential or were pushed other than patriarchy, basically? There wasn't a direct conversation about, no, there was. There was a direct conversation about pleasure, but it was always in the context of how sinful it is to feel sexual pleasure. You know, even to be turned on was immediately a crime, even if you have, even before you have acted upon it. So I grew up feeling resentful of my sexy feelings, you know, and ashamed of them and praying them away constantly. So a pleasure was just not, it wasn't celebrated at all. And if you go down our history, our Christian history, at some point when we're talking about the body and and, and enjoying pleasures of the body, whether it's eating or drinking and sex as well. It was gen all of it is to be condemned. And the suffer and, and Jesus was always painted as the suffering, the suffering servant. And so to suffer, to feel no pleasure, to feel uh, broke, to be broken and to be wounded and to not enjoy your body in that way was yeah, like, that, that guy is holy, man. That's a holy person. So. Yeah, that's what it was like for me. All right. So what about you, Mutoni? What did that conversation around pleasure look like? Um, so it's, it's pretty much the idea that the body is any pleasure, physical pleasure, sexual pleasure, sensual pleasure is wrong, right? Um, but what, what I have found now in Islam and I'm talking about this not as a relational and sex therapist, just as a Muslim woman, is that um, sex is considered essential, but within the confines of marriage. So um, they, they're, um, there's a whole chapter in the Quran that talks about the rights of women that have over their husbands. And one of them is sex. And a woman can actually divorce her husband if he's not pleasing her. That is that, yes. So if, <laughs> so, so if, you're, if, you're, if you're just being left there, like what, what just happened? That is grounds for that. Um, there are even accounts of uh, beloved prophet, peace and blessings upon him when they migrated from um, Mecca to Medina, they were like, refugees and they meet these people in Medina who are complete strangers and they talk about this the, the 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 companions of the prophet peace and blessings upon him they come to him and they say these people are really strange because they're having they're having um a doggy position styles I mean it's indicated in the Quran and and uh, and the uh, beloved prophet peace and blessings upon him he's like um when you approach your wife 
You approach her like you would a garden. You have to be really tender. You can't just go like that. You, know? <laughs> you don't go in like that, like it's yours, right? You have to, you have to ensure that she experienced pleasure. And so this repeated emphasis on pleasure. Marriage is seen as a conduit for, 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 for sex. That's real. Not even children per se, but, but sex. So it's, it's interesting coming from a, a background where the body is considered shameful and something that you need to die off from all your desires and coming to a faith that says, no, actually this is important, but this is important within the confines of marriage. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting sort of um, um, progression. Um, let me also add this in terms of culture. I live in Senegal now, and, and it's a predominantly Muslim country, like 90%, give or take. And I have never met people so incredibly liberal <laughs> about sex like I have in Senegal. We, we go to the markets and there's sexual paraphernalia being sold in the market um, by older women. Um, and when I say paraphernalia, I mean exactly that. We talk about waist beads. We're talking about crocheted um, bikini, bikini tops and little see-through skirt things, um, t-shirts that have very graphic sexual positions that you wear at home in the bedroom with your husband. You know what I mean? So, so, these, <laughs> so I, I'm, I find myself being taken back because in my head I'm thinking conservatism, um, a level of, um, of, of, yeah, conservatism, and then I come and find these public spaces where sex is talked about and, 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 and encouraged. But then again, it's all within the confines of marriage. So it's, it's an interesting sort of exploration um, that I'm seeing here. All right, all right. Um, now that you've just brought up the, the conversation around marriage and um, what sex and pleasure look like in the context of marriage. I'd like to direct a question to Pastor Dave. And um, just before we even get into the question, um, I also want to ask you what your thoughts and ideas are around sex and sexuality and pleasure. Just being a member of the church and yeah, being both being uh, brought up in the church, one, and being now a member of the church, like an ordained member of the church. What does that look like for you? Uh, thank you, Oswan. Thank you, Vudoni, for uh, bringing a broader perspective on Islam, which I am not very conversant with. So uh, from the Christian perspective, uh, as I illuminated earlier, is the sex uh, and pleasure have been, uh, actually, particularly uh, to focus on pleasure either, Sex within the Christian circles and teachings and tradition has largely been portrayed to, towards procreation only. And if it's not about procreation, then it is either sinful or it's lascivious or it is lust or you know, all these other things. And so that has been perpetrated within the Christian circles for a very long time. And even within the context of, 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 of marriage, or, or consenting adults is only so heteronormative and anything outside heteronormative is actually very, also very sinful. So pleasure in sex within our Christian circles and you know, uh, uh, what has been perpetrated for a long time is basically to, uh, to, to promote procreation and not to pleasurize yourself. There are a lot of Christian communities who are even, uh, um, have gone quite further in controlling this among young people and teenagers, you know, issues of masturbation, for instance, I know that this Christian community who is somewhere now on, on Athi River, who actually, they, they do uh, um, host a safe house where they, they do conversion therapy to queer people who, who maybe feel that they, they have now discovered God and so their sexuality, their sinful ways, they want to abandon them and issues of masturbation. They have all these ways of controlling that and talking about even uh, having equipment to, uh, to to use for children who masturbate so that whenever they masturbate, such equipments are able to distract them when they go to touch their dicks. And so Christian communities have gone quite to uh, lengths that are dramatic and, and sad and unfortunate. 
and uh, we are trying to break such things and you know uh, have uh, talk about sex in ways that is liberating and is affirming and is is, is giving freedom and pleasure and allowing people to be authentic and, and be whole in who they are. Uh, and, and so that is something that uh, we, we're going to deal with uh, for a long time as faith communities, but, uh, you know, with conversations and platforms like this and engaging faith communities, because it's very, very important that faith communities are, are involved in this conversation in our context. We, they account for a lot of, you know, um, a huge percentage of our, com of our, of our, of our population. And so it is important that we who understand how sex can be utilized in ways that liberate also expand this conversation to faith communities and, uh, and make it more intersectional uh, to, to allow our, our, our members and our communities to, to be empowered uh, with sex. And actually the Bible in itself, it is well contextualized and, and looked at this historical context, context of it, actually elevates sex and allows sex to be used for pleasure and companionship uh, outside what is a very popular narrative within the religious communities. Thank you. All right. Um, Tiff, I know you've, you've um, led some questions specifically around pleasure and specifically around pleasure for women. Could you tell us a bit more about that experience and what it has been like going up against some of the narratives that already exist and have been perpetuated by maybe some religious spaces? Um, it's been fun. Like, I feel like I should have more horror stories, guys. Like, I think a lot of people think that now when you're talking about sex in places, you just have backlash and it's a whole thing. No, it's actually been, weirdly enough, that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about the work that I do, that it's generally been really well received, right? Um, like one of the things I did here was start um, a group. Or was it a group? It was more like conversations with Kenyan women here. And it was really, what I found really, really interesting was um, the way like our traditions and our religion and everything, and like, especially Christianity, because there's many Christian women, were like really uncomfortable about how like open the South African like component of the like folks were and they were like ah, but these South Africans no 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 but like fast forward like a few years not a few years like fast forward a year and some change two years yeah so a few years and the conversations have really really changed and it's and a lot of the conversations what I've found have been like people understanding what holds them back because like even we did some conversations in Lesotho and a lot of it was like, we know our religion is holding us back. We know culture is, we know it, but it's so hard to shake. And I think that's what I found really just like amazing because it's the journey I went through. Like sex made me wildly uncomfortable. I was that person who whenever was somebody was like penis, I was like, <laughs> I have died and I couldn't deal. And I'm just like laughing the whole time. And I think my way out of things. So like I started platforms and I wrote papers and my entire like master's thesis was around sex and sexuality. And yeah, no, but it's, it's been actually really interesting. But I also know that's not everyone's experience of this, right? I know that there is a lot of backlash. And um, one of the things that I found is the way in which you approach the subject, um, like finding out different ways of speaking to different people like whenever you like enter say like a religious space, you can't just come waving a dildo and be like, and then start <laughs> hitting people over the head with like strap-ons and things and being like, enhance your pleasure and hitting them over the head. So like, I think it's, it's also very important to have the conversations in different ways and to like expand the ways in which we have the conversation. Cause I think one of the things that's been really helpful for my work is meeting people where they're at and like, talking about, weirdly enough, talking about LGBTIQA plus issues has helped like frame my ability to talk about other things because you have to always like tread carefully in a sense. So actually it's been pretty good and it's been quite fun. And it's also been really fun to just see people open up and be open to like new experiences and new understandings and now they're kinksters, but those are different things. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. So and you've mentioned LGBTQI people, and I'd like to bring the conversation back to Pastor Dave. Now, I know you're a pastor and you specifically work on affirming queer folks who want to have um, a, a, a relationship with religion and uh, some of the harmful narratives that um, Christianity has created over time is that um, pleasure is um, 
only um, not only is it uh, patriarchal, it's only it only exists in uh, marital spaces or the institution of marriage as we know it. So now now that we live in Kenya and Kenya doesn't recognize queer lives one and doesn't recognize queer lives as lives that can be uh, recognized in marriage. What do the conversations look like in that specific kind of context? Uh, thanks. Thanks again. Uh, uh, one of the, the, the ways that the conversation is, is shaping, actually, I would say uh, we've done this now, for particularly for me, for about five years, working with faith communities, religious leaders, in deep, deep in, in, very, uh, in, in, the, in, in communities that we would call very uh, violent or, 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 or prone to violence. And the conversation there initially when it started, I would say 2013, 14, and 15 thereabouts, was so close. And I remember it was really, really hard to even start, you know, have the word sex with faith leaders and pastors gathering. Uh, and, but so far, there's been uh, a lot of progress and growth and, and, and uh, w different ways of approaching, as, as, as Stephanie says, you know, meeting the people where they are at and using instruments and language that they might understand. And so we have progressed on that. But as, a farming, as an affirming congregation that welcomes LGBT folks, one thing we recognize is that uh, the texts have been used, religious writings and traditions, we first recognize that they've been used over time for, to oppress, to exclude, to harm, to kill, and so on and so forth. And so one of the things we are doing is to ensure that we unlearn sexuality that we've been taught over time. And some of the language you use in lay, lay theology is we talk, it, we talk about it moving from a given theology to a more mature theology, meaning that, you know, as I, I grew up a very strong Adventist, both my, my dad and my mom's side were very strong Adventists. And I was an, a very strong leader at the Adventist institution all the way to university. And I realized that Adventist was, was the religion and the tradition that my mother taught me, the church that my mother took me. And it was good enough. And, you know, it, 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 it made me who I am, a good father to my son, a good, you know, a good friend, a good leader, a good brother, and a good person in the society. But as, as I grow up, I realized that the religion of my mother, the theology that my mother's church taught me, actually uh, is not what is real and is in my real lived reality. And so in that realization, I have to unlearn from that theology that I was taught to hate who I am as a queer man to a more mature theology that accepts me, that tells me that Jesus died for me, for who I am, that God created me in his image and likeness and affirms my identity. And my identity is basically for his glory and God uh, thrives and, and, and appreciates diversity. And so we believe at CSE that it is not in the mind of God that two people or three people who are in a loving relationship should be criminalized, should not be allowed to exercise a self-pleasure and expression of their authentic selves. So uh, there are communities that are now openly, uh, uh, slowly opening to such kind of narratives and conversations. And when we, we talk about it in the, within the context of feminism and women's rights and HIV and how religion has been uh, used in ways that have, not, have, have, have limited the, these discourses to thrive, then the LGBT discourse basically becomes easier because it's now reasonless and it's more intersectional uh, within the women's uh, rights and, and other, other rights that the church has over time not, not addressed well. This week's podcast of the week is Positively African. They create content and curate events that celebrate African stories and heritage. Using different mediums, from audio stories to theater productions, they work with writers, storytellers, actors, publishers, illustrators, graphic designers, sound designers, and musicians from across the continent on a range of projects with long-lasting social impact in the literary and performance space. Please listen to the new podcast. There is a direct link in the description box below. Now back to our podcast. You don't know me. 
All right. Um, I'd like to bring the conversation back to Mudoni and maybe pivot it a bit. Um, you are a relational and sex therapist, and you have had many conversations um, uh, around healthy sex practices. What is some of the language you wish you had more of around sex and sexuality? What what is more affirming? What what could be softer? What could be gotten right in the conversations around sex and sexuality in a religious context? I accept myself. Hmm. I love myself. I appreciate myself. Um, I love the desires that I have. You know, I I I am worthy of exploring that which is most natural for me. You see, most folks that come in, um, there's a lot of shame, right? And, and so what happens when shame is, is left to fester, it, it then creates an environment where you have behavior that is not supportive of the whole being. So folks can have um, cases of depression um, or if it's physiology, Maybe they're unable to connect with their partner sexually or the extreme of that, they may engage in behavior that's harmful to themselves, um, like the use of pornographic material, for example, or, or um, unintentional sex practices. So it's promiscuous in nature, right? Um, but when you explore the, the, the course that's underneath all that, it's really about the sense of shame and being told that you're crap, <laughs> that whatever is natural to you, you are horrible, terrible, shameful, you're not human, you're despicable. I mean, all those words and behavior that are not humane in nature. So a lot of my work that I do with my clients is really to create an environment that is predicated on safety, on affirmation, that how you feel, um, what is natural to you is not something to feel shameful about. When you understand this is who you are or this is part of your makeup. So there's a lot of unlearning um, that comes with that. But it's amazing to support clients when they're able to accept themselves with whatever proclivity that they may have. You know, I, my job as a relational and sex therapist is to support clients to get to the sense of wholeness and acceptance. Um, most people think uh, relational and sex therapist that what we talk about is sex. Really, actually, sex is very little. <laughs> sex is very little <laughs> to, to the whole thing, actually. They may come in and say, you know, for instance, I might not be able to, if it's a man, um, maintain an erection and you know, or they have premature ejaculations, for example. But when we explore that deeper, that is just simply a symptom of something else. Um, yeah, so I, I hope I was able to answer your question. You did, you did. But I, I also want to add um, Silayo onto that conversation and maybe she can tell us what she wishes she had more of in the church in regards to conversation around pleasure and sex and sexuality. What do you wish you never had and what do you wish you want you what do you never want to hear again? Things like mm. that. Maybe you can tell us from your personal experience. Um, the big work of my my mid-30s, which is where I am now, the, the thing I talk about the most in therapy and with my friends and when I'm journaling or searching for peace has always been, am I good? Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, the answer was always no, you know, because um, I feel like the basis of the kind of religion that I participated in was you start with you are shit as a human being. You are bad as you are sinful. Your body is terrible. And so, and I've carried that my entire life. It's, um, I only am learning self-worth now as an adult, which is a tragedy because I've spent a lot of, a lot of my years being depressed, just like Modoni was saying, depression, uh, depression, anxiety, shame, so much shame, you know, um, and guilt every time I had a sexual experience. I, before I sort of started evolving my faith, evolving 
with my faith as it evolved by itself, I never had a sexual encounter that was not then followed by weeks, sometimes months of guilt and shame and fasting and praying and crying at the altar for God to forgive me for my terrible, terrible ways, you know. And so the one thing I wish I heard about me and my body was that it is good, which is weird because um, I feel like the Christian story starts with God making everything and saying it is good. But somehow that narrative was co-opted by patriarchy and, and you know, just culture. Every culture that Christianity has had to sort of travel through to get to me um, said it this message of human beings are worthless and useless. And I internalized it completely. So I wish, I wish that pastors and my spiritual teachers had taken time to help me understand that I am good, period. You know, that's it. That's, that's what I wish I had when I was growing up. Because I've taken a lot of work and a lot of therapy money, you know. <laughs> we could have finished this job early. <laughs> but, but I'm glad. I still, I still am so grateful um, for the opportunity to evolve. And, and now I feel that I intrinsically, as I am made, as I exist, whether you want to credit it to God or evolution or source or wherever it is that I came from, that we all came from, I, I begin good. I begin, my, my zero is worthy. And that's, it's been a big deal for me in my life to learn that. All right. Um, yeah. I want to pose a question to all of you. Do you think the church as it is, is redeemable in the context of sex, sexuality, and pleasure? Do you think it is a possible reality that the church can be a space that can have open, honest, non-patriarchal, affirming, queer-friendly conversations? I want to say yes, because I believe in the milk of human goodness and my mom's such a good Christian woman and et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is that there's a lot of power in all of that othering and there's a lot of power that comes from telling women that they can't show their, their shoulders in church and they'll have men slip in. And there's a lot of power in telling people that there's, you know, queerness is bad and this is bad. And there's a lot of stuff that the church does purely just to maintain a sense of control over people's lives. Um, and there's, there's shame. There's also a lot of ways in which the church is very helpful, very supportive. Like I know some people get some really good marriage counseling from church. Like I've had some people break up because like the church was like, okay, let's give you marriage counseling. And then after marriage counseling, they're like, ah, this is trash. We're not doing this. So, but I think right now it's not redeemable because, um, there's so many ways in which the church maintaining the status quo helps them still be relevant. So now if we don't have a lot of that shame and guilt and a lot of that feeling of like, I need something to redeem me and to bring me back up and to, you know, like make me whole again, then I don't know. I believe in the church. I feel like people are sweet. I believe, I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe we can go to Mudani. So I don't know if, if I'm equipped to answer the question because I- Yeah, I'm you've like had a- <laughs> I'm a baby Muslim. Um, so just, I, I agree with what Tiff is saying um, in the sense that in the current structure, there is a lot of power that comes with maintaining the status quo, you know, but I think also in the same token, and this is what I love about the internet, as a third space, there are conversations now of people who feel that the the, the, the spirit of Islam, the sense of diversity, the sense of understanding brotherhood, the sense of acceptance has been eroded. And so they're creating little um, enclaves of, of womanist, queer, affirming I, Muslims. And this is really run by people of color, black women, Latinos, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, with the structure the way it is, no, I don't think so. Um, but having said that, people will always seek to find space for themselves. You know, religion or spirituality in itself is not really a bad thing. It gives a lot of meaning. 
but people will always find places where they feel affirmed and, and taken care of and seen as human beings. So um, there's a lot of disruption going on. So yeah, I, I think there is, just not in the way that is seen right now. I think uh, church has always evolved. I think religion has always evolved. You know, there was a time when hip hop music was demonic. And if you listen to it, the, you know, your life would be ruined forever. Uh, but now, even the very stoic and uh, conservative leaders, you know, recognize all these big names. But that's because they've grown. And, and I do feel that the power structures within the church are very populist, you know. They're like, after a while, they bow. After a while, they bend. Otherwise, we would still be living in like, you know, Jesus days, walking around in sandals or whatever. I don't, I don't exactly what that would look like. So I do feel like it has no choice. The, 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 the institution has no choice but to evolve. And to not evolve means to die and to fade out. And, and the fact that David exists, you know, for me, who was a, <laughs> yeah, as a pastor and an and, and affirming pastor, for me, who grew up super evangelical, a worship pastor, you know, committed my life completely to, uh, to the church and its cause, and who struggled to reconcile all my nice and generous and kind and um, wonderful queer friends, I, I, didn't know, I, I didn't know what to do with it. You know, I didn't know what to do with those relationships, but it changed now. I have a lot more friends who, and so I feel, I think what I'm trying to say is I feel like it has no choice but to evolve. It might take a while as it does everywhere with every sort of cultural change, you know, but it's going to happen. It cannot not happen, I think. I would just want to really echo what my, my fellow panelists have said, because it is true. Uh, the church uh, is, there's hope for the church, I would say. There's hope for the, particularly in Africa. Uh, in the West, I, would, I don't know, but there's hope for the church in Africa. The only thing is that the church must evolve. The church must evolve issues of sexuality, issues of you know, gender equality, issues of um, corruption in our continent, and how they handle marginal, uh, people are marginalized and pushed to the, you know, to the margin. So the church must evolve in those ways for us to really stay afloat. If it doesn't, with the wave, I live with my two sisters who are in the early 20s, and we have some of this conversation, they know me as their open gay brother, and we have some of this conversation, and being very strong also within the Adventist circles, they keep questioning, they keep asking questions, and they ask my mother, and they ask my, my sister, and my, my, my pastor, um, their pastors now, about you know, issues that affect them as young people and as women, and as people who are in totally a different generational context, so I think the church has hope and it, it has to evolve for it to stay afloat, for it to be relevant. It must just evolve and address the needs of the people who are living currently. Every, and, and for instance, in, in, in biblical interpretation, we are told that every generation has a duty to interpret the writings, the biblical writings in a way that is relevant to its generation. And so currently, the way the biblical interpretations have been done over time is not going to be relevant for the future of the church as it is, uh, you know, uh, structured. I have some questions from the audience. I tend to struggle with the relationship between uh, being a spiritual being, where we're living our human experience in these fleshy vessels, and still identifying with the body I was given and, ex and the experiences it comes with. How do you keep that spiritual standing and still be with one's body, identity, and sexuality? I can go first and just talk about what happened for me. Because all of what I, I'm neither an expert on sexuality nor really an expert on faith, but I'm an expert on my own experience. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened for me maybe about four or five years ago was my faith structures came crashing down, you know, the things I believed to be true about it, I, I started questioning and, and the pillars were just falling one at a time, at a time, at a time, at a time. And at some point I had to sit and think about my body's role in my life. 
And then it was so weird because it suddenly occurred to me that every experience I have, I have had in my body. Because one of the things that happened for me growing up in that kind of evangelical background is there was some sort of mental separation. Like I, ex I never really existed inside of my body. You know, my body was just this thing I'm carrying around while I'm here and I'm going to leave it behind because I am separate from my body. Uh, but I, I don't feel like that anymore. It occurred to me every hug I've given, every fantastic taste of ice cream I've had, every sensation of joy and peace I felt in the middle of a worship session, I felt in my body. If my body didn't feel it, I wouldn't have known that it happened, you know? When I would have worship experiences or God experiences and walk away and be like, oh man, what a good service. The only way I know it was a good service is because I was crying with my body, I was lifting my hands. There's nothing that I am that is outside of this bag, <laughs> you know, of this. And so how I consider and think about my body and my spirituality now because I'm still deeply spiritual and still deeply believe in God is that it's all one thing. My, my body, the thoughts that I think, I think them inside of my body because my brain is part of my body. Um, the pain that I feel, the hope that I, even when I feel hope and I feel desire and I feel I want to call on God, it arises from my gut and I feel a physical feeling. And so there's been sort of embodiment, I don't know which other word to call it, just settling into my physicality. Yeah, mm. I don't know if I'm fumbling, but yeah, it's what no, happened for me. Yeah, um, you're making perfect sense. Um, maybe Tiff can add on to that. So I, I, I love thinking about things. So I think for me, whenever, you know, people want to know how to reconcile like the spiritual and the physical, I'm always like, and, and Madoni has touched on it, like, really really well like within the islamic like framework but like go and find the material right and i think a lot of people rely too much on like god bless you pastor david but like their pastors and everything for like guidance on everything like you cannot breathe but like if you go and you do the research because there is a lot of research out there that like looks at the relationship between various religions various spiritual ideas and you know like sex and sexuality in your body like you can go and find that material out there and like take that journey by yourself because also I would encourage it because the body and your, your, your personal space and your sexuality is a very, very personal thing, right? And we're constantly told that it's a very personal thing, but it's also a very public good. So like everybody can be out here chatting about your sexuality, chatting about your sex, chatting about your vagina, chatting about all your mess, right? But like, I feel like taking that journey by yourself is a really, really important thing. And I know I did it with my sexuality and then I did it with my sex life and you can find a lot of material out there. And it's like, you know, if you don't have access to the internet, that could be a little bit trickier, but the fact that you're watching this webinar means that you do. So Google <laughs> and like take that in and just sit, take time to sit in that, sit in like the work that people are doing because people are doing that work, right? Mm -hmm. They're doing that work. And so just finding out that work and sitting with that work and taking that personal journey and then, you know, like having those conversations, like say with lovers and friends and partners and stuff like that. And then when you go to like religious spaces, you know, finding affirming religious spaces, or if not, at least you have like the backing and the knowledge to be able to have those conversations because they're not separate. And I think mm -hmm. the minute we stop thinking about them as separate and thinking that, you know, religion and, um, religion, spirituality, and sexuality, and sensuality are mutually exclusive, then we can start doing a proper thing. Also, Google. Google is your friend. <laughs> All right. Um, um, it's time to wrap up, guys. It has been a really, really exciting conversation, and you've all been such excellent panelists. Maybe you can have a final word from all of you, maybe something for uh, people who are struggling with their sexuality, with with the pleasure narratives, what are some of the affirming and encouraging things you can tell them? Maybe we can start with Mudoni. Um, this is so amazing. Um, thank you so much, Kaz. And thank you, my fellow panelists and everybody who's joined this. Um, 
I, I always believe in start where you are. Start where you are and, and, and allow yourself to go into yourself so that you sort of like, you know, the, your, the answers that you seek, I know that sounds like a cliche, but the answers that you, <laughs> that you seek are inside you, inside you. And God doesn't make a mistake, really. Um, and, and I always say, for, you will find your tribe. You always find your people. But the first person you need to be friends with is yourself. All right, um, maybe we can have Silayo. I think the, if I had to say just one single thing, it would be to remind everybody that you are intrinsically good and you start life as worthy. And yeah, I think that's it. It, it's, it's, it sounds so simple and so silly not to know that, but when the story that you have been given consistently is that there's something wrong with you from day one, you know, um, especially within the church when we talk about original sin, uh, go and question all, those, go question all those stories about yourself. Question where did, the, where did the particular way that I believe in original sin about myself, where did it come from? And you'll find all of it is not Jesus stuff, man. There's been a lot of adding, removing, rubbing, spicing of, because the guy is Jesus. Jesus is the guy we're talking about. And he, and I feel like his message for every single human being was you are made of God. You are made by God. You are from God. And, and so do a little research about the things you believe. Don't just, don't say yes. Uh, just like Tiff was saying, you know, don't just say yes because the pastor has said it from a pulpit. Don't just agree because it is in so many publications and it is a commonly held belief. Challenge those stories. Uh, you will find that uh, you're Superman. <laughs> All right, Tiff. Um, I think for me, it's the whole idea of it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, discovering your sexuality, discovering yourself. I think a lot of people feel like once they find like a space like this, like the spread and things like that, you must now just become really body autonomous and really happy in yourself and you're done, you're good. You know, like you read two articles and you subscribe to Cosmo online, your shop. But I think one of those things is learning and unlearning takes time. Um, it takes, you know, a lot of effort. Sometimes you'll take three steps forward and four steps back and you'll be like, oh, you know, maybe what I'm doing is wrong. And like, I think just be kind to yourself and allow yourself to take time. And it's okay. And truth be told, I don't think it ever really stops. Like the learning, the unlearning, the trying to like shake off old things. And just don't be so hard on yourself when you find yourself thinking old things or falling into old patterns. Just be like, Okay, we know we don't do this anymore. It's fine. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, finally, Pastor Dave. Ah, thank you so much again to the panelists and uh, the entire Cars Entertainment team. Uh, my closing um, remarks would be very simple. Is that uh, one of the things basically we do at CSC is to encourage people to be in a relationship with Jesus Christ, especially if you understand fully who Jesus is. Uh, but if, if, if not, that is not something for you, then uh, have a relationship with the God of your understanding, you know, as embodies love. And, and so uh, it's basically calling upon us to unlearn what you've been taught. You know, that our bodies, if you, if you reconcile your body and your spirituality, then it involves a lot of unlearning. I think it, I would like, lay a lot of emphasis on this because what we've been taught is what causes this conflict between our bodies uh, and, and our spiritualities, uh, our physical bodies and our spiritualities. And so there's a lot of unlearning that we have to do, particularly as queer people, people who have been oppressed by religion and spirituality. Uh, and in, in terms of that, it is a journey, as, 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 as the fellow panelists have said, it takes time, it takes uh, you know, reading and researching and meditating and praying and being part of a community that you feel affirmed and comfortable with. But also we have to be very careful in terms of what we consume in, in this virtual world is good, it's giving us enough information to question, but it comes with a lot of fake news as well. 
I know there's a lot of fake news that comes from even the Kenya Christian professionals who are trying to spread a lot of anti-rights, anti-equality anti within the faith community. And they're utilizing things like WhatsApp and these media platforms are very popular. So we must also be careful on what we consume when it comes to controversial issues between sexuality and religion. All right, it's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much for joining me on this panel. You've all been so excellent. I'm sure everyone has had such a good time. Thank you all for tuning in. This was the fourth of a series of six episodes from the Spread Festival 2020. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon on your preferred podcast app. And with so many of you here, please tune into my YouTube page for some more visual content. There's a direct link in the description box below. I'm really working hard to get that game up. So please click in the link provided and just like binge, binge watch all the videos if you want to. And don't forget to follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at the spread pod across the board. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. Till next time. Bye. Secrets with you, cause with you I have no fear. Because my soul is ready and my heart is vacant. I want you to be with me every step I'm taking. Cause I know I found something special. That's why I just wanna lay down my body and just expose myself to you. Oh baby, so lay down your body and just expose yourself to me too. Cause I want your love with you.